turn in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is found on page 1158 of the Pew Bible. We're reading verses 14 to 29. In our passage today, the theme of rejection continues. We noticed before how Jesus was rejected by his hometown of Nazareth. And last time we considered Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, and he prepares them for rejection. They are to shake the dust off their sandals in the Jewish towns that reject them and reject their message of repentance that the kingdom has arrived in Jesus Christ. So let's turn in God's word to Mark chapter 6, and it's verses 14 to 29. Listen, this is God's word. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune time, an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officials, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I wonder how many of you have had the experience of border control at the airport. You've just got off the plane. You're excited for your adventure in a new country. But the first people that you meet are the officers at border control. I remember as a young adult coming to America and dealing with these guys. They ask you the purpose of your trip, but they're clearly not interested in the variety of sites that you plan to go and visit. They want to know where you're staying. They want to know how you're going to support yourself while you're in the country. 
And these guards, and I'm sure it's part of their training, they look at you suspiciously, they take your fingerprints, they take a photo of you, and for a few minutes, the reality of your entry into the country looks uncertain. You always thought of yourself as a law-abiding citizen, but now you feel like a criminal about to be rejected. Then they quickly stamp your passport, let you in, and shout, next. Well, it didn't put me off America, but as a disciple of Christ, you will be rejected and face persecution and even death. But you can do so because Christ also knew rejection, persecution, and death. Children here, I encourage you to draw a picture of John the Baptist preaching to King Herod, who looks puzzled, and to his wife Herodias, who looks angry. So firstly, I want us to consider, as a Christian, you are to be speaking about Christ. So we've considered Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. Well, Mark, the writer of the gospel, does something that he likes to do. He sandwiches in another episode into the middle of this section about Jesus sending out the 12. And it's this account of King Herod and John the Baptist. And that's because Mark gives us a case study of what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ in the life of John the Baptist. And we'll consider that more in the rest of the sermon. But our passage begins with King Herod hearing about Jesus Christ because his name had become well known. Now this is after Jesus sending out the 12, and so we can assume that they've been successful in spreading the good news. Whether that good news has been accepted or not, we don't know but people are talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was once unknown, is now being talked about, even in the palace court. I've mentioned Maud Cowles a few times. I'll mention her again. Soon there won't be need to read her book. Anyway, she received an award for her service to humanity. It's an OBE, uh, an award that um, people get from royalty in the UK. And you have to go to the palace to collect this award. And she received her award from Prince William. And he had obviously been informed of Maud so that when he met her, he said, oh, you are the lady who had been shot. And he asked her how she was doing and had she recovered. And Maud said he was most interested and very concerned for me. And what a lovely experience it was to meet the man who will be king. And yet he had an interest in me. Well, in the courts of King Herod's palace, they were talking about this humble person, this carpenter from Nazareth that had caught everyone's attention. They were interested to know who is this man. And it's a challenge for us today. Are we talking to others about Jesus? Do they even know that our faith is in Jesus Christ? My people might know that you go to church. You might even tell them in the staff room or in your workroom the next day that you were at church yesterday. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. No, you're to be telling people about Jesus Christ, pointing people to him as your savior. But how easy is that? People only use Jesus' name as a swear word. They never talk about him. And so it can be hard for us to talk about him. We can expect a cold reception or to be called names like being a religious fanatic. And yet that doesn't matter. 
It's in Christ that you have your salvation. He is your hope in life. And so he is the one that you should be declaring. It's his name that you should be speaking about. Well, secondly, I want you to consider, do not be surprised to find that Jesus is rejected in verses 14 to 16. So we read of Herod even, even talking about Jesus. But who is this King Herod? Well, this is Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch. He ruled a quarter of his father's kingdom, his father being Herod the Great. And Mark gives us an insight into the wickedness of Herod Antipas in this passage. He's a man who enjoys his indulgences, partying, women, alcohol. Not much different from society today. But what's interesting is that although Herod is wicked, we also see that his conscience is troubling him. As I said, Jesus' fame is now well known, even in the palace. And the big question is, who is this man? And they recognize from what they hear about Jesus that he's no ordinary man. Some say he is Elijah. The Old Testament prophesied that Elijah would return. And so they think that Jesus must be Elijah. Some thought he was a prophet, like a prophet of the Old Testament. Now remember, there hasn't been a prophet for 400 years. And so they recognize Jesus to be in the same league as one of these Old Testament men. Well, King Herod believes that he's someone else, that he's John the Baptist. For John was an Elijah figure, the first prophet since the Old Testament. But notice how Herod says, whom I beheaded. Herod is suffering from guilt. He realizes that it was wrong to have John beheaded, but he did it anyway. Herod is troubled by his decision, and in his superstitious mind, he believes that John is resurrected from the dead, and he's afraid that John is back to avenge him. But by Herod believing John, Jesus to be John the Baptist, he is rejecting Jesus. And this is not simply a case of mistaken identity. Herod enjoyed hearing John the Baptist preached. Well, John the Baptist, he preached about Jesus Christ. John said, one would come after me, whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. John said, he must increase and I must decrease. And so we can be certain that Herod heard from John that there was one to come. Instead, Herod believed the ridiculous, that this must be John the Baptist. And so he rejects Jesus Christ. His guilty conscience had convinced him that this could only be John, who now had powers at work in him. And so he rejected all other explanations. And you can find that too. You can talk to people, and they will not accept Jesus as the Son of God. They think that there's no way that Jesus can be the Son of God. To them, he appears to be defeated on the cross. They don't see the victory. Instead, uh, we often see people making a Jesus of their own making, of their own liking. As a result, he is a poster boy for world peace or for gay rights or for environmentalism or for whatever the political cause is that they're promoting. And by doing this, the true Christ is being rejected. Well, how do you know who Jesus is so that you also don't reject him? Well, you read about Jesus in God's word. This is how you know who Christ is. This is where you get your true understanding of his identity. Many people reject Jesus because 
They have not read the Bible to know who he really is. So do not be surprised to find Jesus is rejected. Well, thirdly, as a disciple, be prepared to face persecution. Verses 17 to 20. Why did Herod have John put to death? Well, Mark explains that John the Baptist had been telling Herod that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. Herod had convinced Herodias to leave her husband, who happened to be Herod's brother. But not only that, as her name suggests, she is related to Herod. She is, in fact, his niece. And so this marriage was against God's law. And so Herod was sinning. John had the boldness to speak out against Herod's sin. Well, Herodias did not appreciate Herod, or John's preaching, and she nursed a grudge against him. She wanted to kill him. Herod, on the other hand, he feared John. He recognized him being a righteous man, that John was a man of God. In other versions, we read that John, when he heard, when he, we read that Herod, when he heard John, was greatly puzzled. And yet he liked to listen to him. Here was a man that would tell Herod the truth. It made him uncomfortable, but he appreciated hearing the truth. Sometimes we get on our bathroom scales, and while we appreciate the scales telling us the truth, it's not comfortable. Well, we realize that we need to do something about it. Well, Herod, he realizes that he needs to do something, but he would not do it. He would not end this sinful relationship. No, he desires this sinful relationship too much to end it. And so he had John in prison to satisfy his wife Herodias. But this passage helps us understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. John preached against Herod's sin. Herod was breaking God's law. Now, Herod wasn't a Jew. Why would he observe Jewish law? Well, God's law is not only for the Jews. His law is for all people on this earth. And we are living in a day and age where people do not respect God's law. God's law, God's standards are far from the standards of this world. You hear people say, well, that doesn't apply to me. But it does apply. God's law is the standard that he will use to judge this world. And so to break God's law, no matter what culture you are in, means you have sinned. And so as a disciple, you are to follow John's example. You're not to be quiet, but you are to speak out. And so when our law is being changed, when marriage is being redefined, when there's confusion about when life begins or what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, you are to speak out. Our world wants us to be quiet. The world says you can have your Christian beliefs, but you're not to force it on us. And yet the world is happy to force its beliefs on us. And the result is this collision of values which will lead to persecution. Now, it's unlikely you'll be thrown into prison uh, at this stage, but persecution may mean missing out on a job. It may mean being excluded from family events. It may mean missing out on scholarships or sporting competitions or musical recitals, all because you will not embrace what is against God's law. And that often comes as a, as a surprise to us, that it doesn't feel fair. 
But what John is facing is not something unique to him. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And throughout history, God's people have had to face persecution. What is unique is that in the Western world, Christians have not had to suffer in recent decades. And yet that looks to be changing. So we must be prepared for persecution and not buckle. Well, fourthly, notice you're even called to give your life, verses 21 to 28. So Herod, for his birthday, has a party. And for Herodias, she knew this would be the opportune time. This was her chance to get rid of that prophet who her husband would not remove. This prophet who was undermining her husband's authority by speaking out against him. And so she was embarrassed at her husband's weakness. She knew what would happen at the party. It would be a drunken affair where Herod sought to impress his party guests about how powerful a king that he is. And notice that his guests were the nobles. They were the high officers. They were chief men of Galilee. And so he had to show them a good time. He had to impress them that he was a king with power. And so Herodias sends out her daughter Salome to dance in front of Herod. And this was a sensual dance to please Herod so that he would then want to please her with a generous gift. Herod makes this foolish oath and says, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you, even up to half my kingdom. Now Herod didn't have authority to do that. He depended on the Romans for that authority. And so this oath was all for show. Salome asks her mother, what shall I ask? And Herodias responds, the head of John the Baptist. And the girl is clearly in it with her mother, for we read that she immediately came back with haste. She does not want Herod to come out of his drunken state of mind, and she wants him to do it at this banquet by asking for his head to be served on a platter. This was not a wish for Herod to fulfill in days or months to come. No, it had to be done now. This was to be another dish on the table. Well, the king is sorry. This is not what he wants to do. And yet, because of his foolish oath, because of his party guests, he feels he's been trapped. This would be Herod's defining moment. Would he lose face? Have his pride take a fall by doing the right thing and protect John? No, that was too costly for Herod. And so he fulfills her requests. And he shows himself to be a weak king by not being able to protect John. He commands for John to be beheaded, given to the girl who gives it to her mother. And tradition has it that Herodias then stabs the tongue of John the Baptist, which had rebuked her unlawful marriage. Herod was forced to make a decision. He had been delaying this decision. That's why he kept John alive. But Herodias made him decide. And sadly, Herod chose sin. And that's a warning. Because Herod had not dealt with his sin before, it then took over his life. And when Jesus turned up in this passage, we read that he's afraid, but he's still not ready to repent of his sin. Ferguson says he saw in Jesus the same God-ordained threat to his indulgence to his sin. 
Well, John's faithfulness cost him his life. And so John the Baptist, the shining light that pointed people to Christ, Matthew describes him as the greatest man born of a woman. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for Christ. And yet in his service to Christ, he faced persecution and death. Now, rarely in the Western world are we called to lay down our lives, but we should be ready to do that. Now, it's easy to think, okay, when the time comes, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. But what have I called you tonight? You're just about to go to bed, and I said, I'm in a jam. I really need your help. Are you willing to sacrifice your bed and come and help? Or what if there's something going on at work and you think, there's no way I'm doing that. I'm not paid enough to do that job. But are you willing to sacrifice yourself to do it? Or volunteers are needed at church and you think, oh, there's plenty of other people to do that. No, that's an opportunity to lay down your life. Maybe it's closer to home. Your family or your friends, they want you to do something that you know is not right. Are you willing to sacrifice your happy family dynamic, your friendship circle, in your discipleship to Christ? Jesus tells us that whatever we have to sacrifice in this life, we receive 100-fold in the next life. In Mark 10, verse 29, Jesus answered and said, As surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You should be willing to lay down your life and that begins by laying down your life every day in your discipleship of Christ. Well, finally notice you are to wait the new life found in Christ Verse 29, we, read, we would read of Herod finally meeting Jesus just before his crucifixion. Herod hoped that Jesus would perform some miraculous deed for him, but Jesus would not. Herod asked Jesus many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus was silent before this king, for Herod had missed his opportunity to repent Scrivener says the tragedy is that John had loved Herod more than anyone else in Herod's life. John told him the truth, but eventually Herod cut off the head of the man who warned him. And you can behead the truth simply by listening, even liking to listen, but doing nothing. That's a warning for you. There comes a time after you continually refuse to repent that you no longer get the opportunity to repent. You know it's important. You say that you'll do it later. You'll do it at a more convenient time when you're less busy, when there's less to lose. But there will never be a better time. You're not to ignore that warning. For you may be like Herod and never get a second chance. So today is the day to repent. Herod's response to Jesus' silence is to ridicule and mock him. He sought to show how he is a powerful king by bullying him and belittling Jesus. And so he dressed him in a robe and sent him back to Pontius Pilate. 
And after that day, we read that these political leaders became friends. Herod did not respond to John's message, and yes, it may have won him the approval of his friends, and may have even won him a new friend in Pilate, but it led to him being rejected by Jesus Christ. And so Ferguson writes, unless we silence sin, sin will silence conscience. Unless we heed God's word, the day may come when we despise God's Son, and then God will have nothing more to say to us. There's much parallel between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. They both preach the same message of repentance, to turn from your rebellion against God, to trust in God and his rescue. Both men's messages were rejected. They were both protected by powerful men, John by Herod, Jesus by Pilate. And both these powerful men tried not to make a decision, and yet both give in because of their unwillingness to upset the crowd. And so both John and Jesus died violent deaths, and both are placed in a tomb. So we read in verse 29, John's disciples came and they take John's body and laid it in the tomb. But that would not be the end of John the Baptist. For through Jesus' tomb, which has been described by Michael Reeves as the womb of the new creation, from it emerged the firstborn from the dead, the firstfruits of a royal harvest of life. John knew no honor or glory in this life, except by his disciples honoring him in his burial. But through Jesus Christ, glory and honor awaited John, for he would be resurrected in Christ. And that is true for each one of Christ's disciples. So you are to learn from John's example what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so as a disciple of Christ, you will be rejected, you will face persecution, and some even death. But you can do so because Christ also knew rejection, persecution, and death. In the recent Church Around the World newsletter, I wonder if you noticed the account of the woman from Laos. This woman, after accepting Jesus as her Savior, called her son and daughter and told them that she believes in God. But her children did not receive the news well. Her daughter told her to stop believing in God or she would not come to visit her mother, would not love her anymore. And her son was even angrier, disowning her completely. Both her children told her that if their employers discovered their mother was a Christian, they would be fired. The woman writes, she felt discouraged, embarrassed. I'm old and all my source of income is from my children. And she called her pastor who encouraged her to stay faithful to God no matter the circumstances. Afterwards, she called her children again and told them she could never stop believing in God, but that she would always love them the same. Well, this could be what God calls of you. So do not be surprised. A disciple of Christ, you will be rejected. You will face persecution and even death. But you can do so because you know that Christ also was rejected. He was persecuted. And he died in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. But this is a grisly account of John's death. Help us to have that fortitude which um, he had in you. Lord, that we would face rejection, that we would face persecution, even death, knowing that we are secure in you. And so we do pray, if there's sin in our lives that we're holding on to, that you 
would help us to give up that sin, that we would have the strength to repent and instead trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn in your psalm books to Psalm 34c. The psalm describes how God keeps his eyes on just men, while on evil men he turns his face. Well, God would turn his face from Herod, but in John the Baptist he kept his eyes on him. And likewise for you as a disciple of Christ, in doing good and repenting of your sin, you can be assured of God's care on you, even in persecution. So stand and sing Psalm 34 seed.